Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there's huge curiosity surrounding these topics, and we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. From uniforms to uniforms. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Good. How are you? I just, did you hear that on the thing saying recording? Yes, I did. I'm like, I what? Sure did. have you ever heard that? <laughs> no. And then I had to give my consent. So that was new. All this time I've been doing it without consent. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it came in my ears. I was I'm like, sorry. what the heck is that? Okay. Well, exactly. Me too. We're both consenting adults Hi. on a podcast <laughs> with <laughs> a very good friend of ours from Corrections. Uh, do you consent mm-hmm. to be on, uh, on video and audio? <laughs> Extra person? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Jaren. <laughs> okay. Okay. Today, uh, Trudy Dover joins us to share her story. So Lauren and I met and worked with Trudy at EIFW, and we're so glad she's here today to share her story. And Trudy, we met you in 2009 when you started out in corrections. So we want to know why. What led you there? <laughs> why why the hell did you do that? What <laughs> the hell, a, Trudy? A lifelong <laughs> question now. Why? Why did you um, Okay. So I was working in nonprofit um, before I came to corrections. And uh, I had done the correctional services program at Grant McKeon in 2000. But I was oh, working, wow. yeah, or sorry, 1998. That's a long time ago. I graduated in 2000. Um, and so I was working in nonprofit, loved it because I was working with kids and stuff and it was awesome, but nonprofit doesn't pay anything, right? So it took me a while to kind of move on. I was like, okay, I've done as much as I can here. So it's time to use my education. So I decided to, I was actually doing the COPAP for provincial corrections when federal called me and I'm like, well, hell yeah, that's more money. So I better go federal, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did. Uh, my plan was to go work with men. That's what I signed up for because I thought I was suited better for that. But they somehow convinced me to go work with women. Uh, <laughs> little little did I know that that was not a, a good choice. But uh, so I was like, okay, uh, CXU, more money, like all this kind of stuff. That's a, a good choice. And um, went and did my core. Uh, they pushed me really quickly through recruiting. So that I could do my core here in Edmonton. Oh, nice. Because, uh, yeah, because uh, I was a single mom. Uh, I needed to be home. I needed to be working every evening and weekend to look after my kids. So I did the core here in Edmonton, which was good and bad because I was able to stay home with my kids. But um, bad because uh, it doesn't really let you connect with the other people mm-hmm. in the core because you're going home every night or you're going to work every night, right? 
So yeah. it kind of started kind of weird there, but, and I was one of the oldest ones in the, the training, which I was like, oh boy, this should have been a, a full red flag for me, but yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I got through the training and stuff and I thought, okay, cool. Now, now I know where I'm going and what I'm doing and I got a government job. So this is, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Then I walked into the institution and uh, soon as I hit the institution, they're like, everything you just learned for the last three and a half months, forget it. It's out yeah. the door, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe a pat down, but like a yeah. half-ass one. Even, no, even the pat downs were different. <laughs> different. And uh, yeah, it was, it was completely different. And I was like, holy shit, what did I just learn all that stuff for? And uh, it felt like I went back to high school. That's what it felt mm. like. And I was like, uh, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to turn out to be, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was interesting because, like I said, I was, I was glad I had a government job but, um, and benefits and pension and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't the setting that I thought it was going to be. And uh, so I was kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember four months in, because um, I kind of laugh because Sharon will know this because she was one of the senior staff then. But um, it's uh, they sit you down right away and they're like, okay, whatever we tell you to do, you just do. And I'm like sitting here going, you're 20 years old and you're telling me what to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works, right? Yeah. And so it was it was interesting, right? But they had more time. So you got to listen, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so four months in, I sat down with them. An old keeper, uh, a lady by the name of Rose, right? Right. And I said, oh. yeah, I said, Rose. Yeah, we were on night shifts drinking tea. And I told her, I said, Rose, I said, this is bullshit. I said, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want to do. And then she told me, she goes, take the weekend, go home, think about it, see why, why you're doing this, what you want to do, right? So I went home and I thought about it. And I was like, I did this for my kids, right? I did this to have a better life for them. And uh, I'm not going to let some 20 year old little shits like make me quit a job. I never quit a job. Right. Yes. I went back and I kept doing the job. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, uh, the things we see, the things we do, um, the management, uh, it changes you. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started, I heard some very jaded people. And I was like, shit, if I ever get like that, tell me to quit. I don't want to be like that, right? But it changes you. And it changes you quick. And you don't even know what's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did. It started to change me, right? And it, um, there, was, there was a lot of things that happened that just were not right. And uh, there wasn't support. And there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any, um, oh, I'm trying to. I think of the word right now there there wasn't any backup there wasn't any uh mm-hmm. hey how are you doing those kind of yeah. things and that was very disappointing right mm-hmm. and um so it started it started to get to me um there was times where I remember one time sitting on high watch every shift for three and a half months every every shift I was on and we got to a point where we were just switching from chair to chair because there were so many people and we couldn't take breaks because there's no there's nowhere to relieve us or nobody to relieve us right and you go to a keeper and you say hey I need a break right 
And, and like, so speak speak to High Watch because I, I know some people that listen, they don't, uh, they're not jail people. So uh, yeah. speak to High Watch because that is like damaging to your soul. Exactly. So tell, tell, tell people what that is. And energy sucking. Like it oh, sucks it is. Yeah. life. You, you sit on a chair in, in the dark and you stare into a cell that has no light on through a little food slot, which is what, I don't even know how big the food slot is, but it's like looking through a peephole, watching somebody sleep mm -hmm. and all because they want attention. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and yeah, some of them are legit, but most of them aren't. Most of them are just attention seeking. And you got to sit there and you got to stare at that cell and uh, for hours and hours on end. And mm -hmm. it's so soul sucking. That's what it is. And it's, yeah. And you do that for three and a half months and every shift and you're just like, man, oh man, like I, I can't take this anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like that how ill-equipped we are number yeah. one as as a service to be like okay well first of all we barely have enough staff to begin with so now we have someone who's doing high watch we don't have psychological services in the middle of the night when something like shit hits the fan or whatever and I I remember like go, like sitting in the briefing room please don't put me on that post like please do not make me I know do this at all because it's so boring number one and number two, it's like, I don't have the energy to even give a shit at this moment. So like, I wanted to shut the food slot and be like, you know what? If you didn't send her yeah. to Alberta hospital, this isn't my problem. It's kind of how I felt about exactly. it. Most well, days, and, right? and we're, and we're not, we're not uh, equipped to deal with it either because it's like, it's that lack of sleep. They put you in a position of you have to make sure this person's alive and breathing and your eyes start to go buggy. Mm -hmm. Is she breathing? Is she not breathing? And you're right. A lot of it is attention seeking. Mm -hmm. And they don't like back in those days, like 2009 uh, and, and onward from there when we had to do that, like it was, uh, yeah, like, like Lauren said, there's no resources to help you. Like, so if something happened, you're on your own too, right? Or we're skeleton staff at that point. So you're sort of thinking, what the fuck am I supposed to do? About this, right? <laughs> well, not, not only that, but you don't have the proper tools. Like, like if you're trying to watch somebody in a cell through a food slot, have the damn light on. Because you can't mm -hmm. see anything. And you could, you could remember you could hit that little button. I was telling someone this story yesterday. I, uh, that one girl bit off her nipple while I was watching her on night shift. Do you remember, do you know who I'm mm -hmm. talking about you guys? Um, anyways, but I remember like going, what is she doing under those blankets? And I like the, the light worked, but they'd like wet paper towel. So it wasn't as bright. Remember that they put like wet paper towel. So mm -hmm. you could hit that light on the outside, but it was never like bright enough to see anything. And then I realized what she was doing. And I was like, Oh, for crying out loud. And we had had psych service in at like 7 PM. And they're like, Oh no, she's not certifiable. And I was like, are you sure? Is she certifiable now? She just bit off her own nipple. Are you? <laughs> Like and they're that? like, how about now? Is she now certifiable? Because I am. I fucking am. Yeah. But the, the thing that got me was like, you do that all the time. Like I said, there's no, there's no way to, to get a break, break from that at all. And then you go to a CM and you say, okay, like a keeper or CM. Uh, and you say, look at them. I'm done. I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. Like I need a break. Right. And they look at you and go like, what do you expect us to do? There is nobody. You have to do it. Mm -hmm. You have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even when you're asking for help, you can't get help, right? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> or when you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm not okay right now. They're like, yeah, well, suck it up because you yeah. have to do, right? So mm-hmm. it, that started getting to me. So and we're getting into a bunch of stuff. I had stuff from before coming to corrections, right? So a lot of stuff started getting triggered for me. Mm-hmm. I started having nightmares. I started having flashbacks. Uh, I started not sleeping. I started being really irritable. Um, like just a whole bunch of stuff was going on, right? Uh, did that happen for you early on in your career or was it later? Um, uh, about four years in. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, about four years in, around there, four or five years. Um, I started having all those things. And like before that, I was pretty good because my outside life was good, right? So I had balance. So corrections was shit, but I had balance outside of that. So it was good. But then it started affecting my life outside of there, like the not sleeping, the not eating, the not wanting to go anywhere, the the disassociation and just wanting to sit in front of the TV and like all that stuff started affecting my life and my family and stuff like that. So then things started going kind of sideways on both, both ends of it. So you don't really have anyone to talk to or you don't have anyone or where anywhere to go, those kind of things. Right? Did you know did you know this at the so time or did you just kind of go through the motions and you were like really unaware? No, no. No, I kind of was just roboting through life, right? Okay. Okay. I think that's what we do is we're just like this is this is how it is and we just gotta keep going. We just gotta mm-hmm. keep moving, right? And so that was like my kids moved out and all that kind of stuff but I was like ah, I'm good I'm good I got work to do right so I'll just keep going and, and I had a relationship and I'm like I'm, I'm good and uh and then it started affecting the relationship and stuff so then it was like okay all areas of my life are being affected um what do I do I'm just gonna keep working I'm gonna mm-hmm. take overtime I'm gonna take all the shifts I can I'm gonna go in early I'm gonna stay late I'm gonna everything I can because work was the only place I had control work was the only thing I knew how to do and do good and and it was the only thing I could manage right so I did that kept doing that until I think it was about five years in and they offered me the minimum and at that time I was really thinking like maybe I should do a different job right um went out to the minimum even though people didn't want to go out there because they thought it was going to be a shit show which it was but uh it was a change right so I went out there and I thought, okay, like at least I'm outside the fence. I'm not responding to all this shit anymore. Maybe I'll have a break for a little bit and I'll, I'll get better. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I can keep doing this. So I did that, but I kept taking overtime, all that kind of stuff, which is my own fault. Right. And then uh, it came to the point where I was on an overtime shift, uh, 2017, uh, in the main building, which I hadn't been in the main building for a bit. And uh, I was a uh, responding officer, had to deal with an inmate that had been an issue all day long. Um, I had gone to the office and said, look, it, you better do something about this one because something, something's not right. Something's going to happen. And nobody listened. Nobody did anything. Later that day, had to respond to that same inmate again. And I was assaulted by that inmate. Oh, no. um, so I still, to this day, don't uh, remember a lot of what happened. Um, all I remember is the feeling of it. And uh, I've been told other things, but I've 
there apparently there's a video i've never seen the video that was mm -hmm. supposed to be one of my um ending projects and treatment was to watch that video but i never got there but anyways uh so like i said all i remember is the feeling of it um and uh I just remember afterwards, my first reaction was, is I, they, they wanted to send me to hospital and I'm like, I can't, I'm on overtime. I don't want to lose the money. So oh, wow. I just wanted to stay and, and work my shift. Right. And they're like, don't worry, Trudy, we're still going to pay you go to the hospital. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, so are can you, you explain, can, do, are you okay with explaining the incident so that people have an idea? You, you were punched. Yes. I was, I was punched. Yeah. I, yeah. I was sucker punched and, uh, but I got hit twice with the head because, uh, she got me and then I hit my head on the cement wall behind. Right. Me. So and you were, you were, you were conscious, but not like, don't remember what happened. Yeah. I have yeah. no idea because the, all I know is that apparently I was, um, but like my partner, I guess my partner, I didn't even see her. I don't remember seeing her, mm -hmm. but we both had her arms behind her back on the floor. That's, that's all I remember. So I don't know what happened. I don't know how I responded. And for a long time that, that was a really hard hit for me because I don't know what happened. I don't know what my reaction was. Uh, I blamed myself because I was like, why didn't I see it? Um, why? how come I didn't know what was happening? How did I respond? What did I do? Did I uh, let people down? Uh, I was embarrassed because it happened. Um, I'm like, what did other people think about what happened? Mm -hmm. uh, inmates saw it happen. So I thought I was the laughing stock of the institution mm -hmm. because it happened. Like all this kind of stuff that all went through my head, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they ended up, I went to the, the hospital. Um, the next thing that happened, which I still have a hard time with, is I we sat in that emergency room for six and a half hours, six and a half hours in uniform waiting to be checked. Oh and I'm like, if that had been an inmate, we'd have been in the door in 10 minutes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. but because- Or a police officer or a yeah. firefighter or, you know. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was pretty disheartened by that because I'm like, it's just another show that we were we were nothing we were nobody nobody gave a shit about who we were or what we did right and i kind of got that throughout their career because it was always what do the inmates need not what do the officers need right and mm -hmm. i i had a hard time with that because it's like i kept thinking what side of the fence am i on like aren't we on the same side aren't we yeah. on the same team right yeah and so it confused me because it's like why aren't you looking after us mm -hmm. like I didn't get that. But anyways, so I was, uh, at first I was diagnosed with, uh, well, the emergency room doctor said concussion and, uh, and whiplash. And, uh, and that was as far as it went. You're off for three days. You can go back to work. Right. Um, so the first day I just had a headache and a sore neck. Uh, second day, I actually went back and picked up my car from the institution uh, the third day, it was like I had been hit by a truck. And I was like, what happened? Like, I was a mess. I was totally out of it. Um, that I found out through the whole process, too, that uh, the institution doesn't do anything when we're assaulted. Mm -hmm. It's all on us, right? So I had to personally charge her. 
Um, I had to file my own papers with uh, the police station, with the courts, all that kind of stuff. There was no help. Nobody came and walked me through that or helped me through that. And, and oh I would, God. I was mentally not okay at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Cause turns out after a few months of testing and stuff, it turns out I had actually had a brain bleed. And oh so, my God. Yeah. So I had a more serious incident than they, they originally had thought. So there was a lot of effects from that. Like I, um, I couldn't, I couldn't look at a phone. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read. Um, I had, I acted like I was drunk all the time. Couldn't walk properly. Couldn't speak properly. Um, just a lot of, a lot of things were going on. So anyways, five days after the incident, um, my person who I was in a relationship at the time said something serious is going on. Something's not right. right? Took me in, uh, did a bunch of testing and stuff started working with a physiotherapist. Um, and then that's when WCB kicked in and they started doing a bunch of uh, testing and stuff. And turns out I had um, some cognitive deficiencies and stuff. And uh, because it's, there had been some damage that had been done. And uh, so then uh, they uh, sent me to the TBI program, which is the traumatic brain injury program in Millard. Uh, with WCD. Uh, that's an eight-week program. So I started there April of 2018. Uh, and my incident was at the end of November 2017. So it was a, quite a few months I sat at home um, depressed, depressed and anxious and staring at walls because I couldn't really do anything else. Super sick. Um, felt very uh, dismissed, very alone very uh like they had just kind of washed their hands of me and and walked away and uh I found out later people were not allowed to contact me because it's confidential which is a huge mistake because when you're going through stuff like that you need your people you need you need people to check in you need people to talk to you, you need support right and nobody do, do there, we, nothing do we know if that's changed or is that still I don't know I don't know, hmm. but it, it's not a, it's not a good system because we're not meant to be isolated and alone when we're going mm -mm. through major shit. And I, so I, I work at the women's Absolutely. shelter, uh, casually. And we, we know that like from trauma, we yeah. have to, we have to isolate people right now because of COVID. And it's just like, it's the biggest, yeah. it's the biggest detriment that we can do to anybody who is coming from trauma is to say, go sit in that room by yourself for five days because I'm scared to get COVID from you, right? Like even we give them a laptop and we talk to them on Zoom, but that's not the same as being with a person, right? So like, it's not just a phone call. You need to be connected to those people in order to not come out of trauma because it, that's not the wording I want to use, but to, to build that resiliency so that you can go back to some sort of normalcy in your life, right? Yeah. crazy you know you need you need to have support you need to have people right and I didn't have any of that for months right and then so I went from being isolated and alone and depressed and uh, huge anxiety and all this kind of stuff and suffering all the symptoms of this to all of a sudden having to go to Millard for six hours a day uh in a in an area surrounded by people I didn't know 
and struggling through a brain injury. And I was like, holy shit. Like, so I, I spiraled, I spiraled. I had a very difficult time and, um, they, I don't want to talk bad about them, but I don't think they were as invested into what was actually going on. They were just more concerned with getting me to do some physical activity to stop the depression, right? Well, mm-hmm. that didn't work. So um, so anyways, long story short, I had a community psych who was brand new out of school. Um, I didn't talk to her to start with because we don't trust anybody. We don't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. It took me a few weeks before I finally said anything to her. And when I did, um, talk, finally talked to her about six weeks in, she looked at me like a deer caught in headlights and she's like, holy shit. And so she's like, I think we need to do a TPI screen. And uh, so they did, which is a traumatic psychological injury screening. And uh, through that, um, she got in hold of a bunch of psychologists at WCB and uh, they put me into the TPI program, which is a traumatic psycho- psychological injury program. So I spent eight weeks in the first one, had a week off, and then spent 42 weeks in the next one. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and it was it was intensive. Um, so I had because I had other injuries on top of it. So I had um, not only did I have the the neck injury um, and the brain injury, but I also had torn my rotator cuff in my right shoulder with that uh, that incident. So that went into a frozen shoulder. So oh my God. I yeah. So I had um, I was dealing with the head dealing with like so I had a physiotherapist uh OT who was doing exposures with me I had a psychologist all that kind of stuff so a team of people working with me for like this this whole time and uh and then uh so that was 2018 so then March of 2019 uh, I was on my way to a physio appointment and I was in a major car accident and uh, so that aggravated the injuries that I already had plus it gave me other injuries so I was not in good shape for a while um, so that went from that uh so I had to continue with all my therapies and stuff in the meantime um my mom had had uh, a major heart attack so I had that going on at the same time and there was a lot of family issues around that and everything so March of 2019, um, I probably hit rock bottom. I, I was like, as, as bad as it could possibly get, I was there. And uh, I just, yeah, was in a dark place and um, didn't know how to get out of it and didn't know what I was going to do, right? And uh, so I knew that I was coming to the end of the program because the program's only supposed to be anywhere from six weeks to 40 weeks, right? And I had been in there longer than that. And I knew they were going to be releasing me soon. And what was I going to do? And uh, so I started looking around. I found a support group in St. Albert, which I had just randomly seen on Facebook one day called Project Trauma Support. And uh, so I went to this very first meeting of this group. Um it was me and six military guys that were sitting in that room. And I like, oh, fuck. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> hey, those guys are the best people to have. I swear <laughs> to God, I have like a military group of dudes too. And I just like, I love them. 
(laughs) it was funny because like like I was just like holy shit like why am I here I'm the only female and I'm not military and all this stuff and like they were all speaking and it came around to my turn to talk and I just I looked at them and I'm like guys like I'm just gonna be as honest and brutal as I can be and go like I have nothing I have nothing and nowhere I I didn't belong with my kids anymore because they were adults doing their own thing I didn't belong at work anymore because I couldn't do that anymore I I didn't have a relationship that was functional at that time I didn't have friends I didn't have nothing I had nowhere nowhere to belong and I said I'm just looking for somewhere to belong that's it and they're like well you belong here. This is your tribe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. So yeah. through that, um, they convinced me to go to a treatment program in Ontario. And uh, it was a five and a half day residential experiential treatment program. And oh, I have to back up a little bit because uh, Millard discharged me in April of 2019. And they discharged me untreated. And so I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm a write-off like nothing's gonna yeah, help basically like you're done here you go untreated I'm like, untreatable yeah untreatable right? so I'm, like, I'm I'm screwed like what am I gonna do right so I went to this uh this program five and a half days and you have to stay there to do it and I was like I, I went there kicking and screaming right like I was like this is fucking bullshit not gonna happen like you guys are full of shit like I whatever like I'll try it. Right. But you know how corrections people are. Like I went to this place. I'm like you, I had to fly into Ottawa. Um, never been past Winnipeg. So I was like, Oh shit, this is crazy. Uh, picked up by a stranger at the airport. And I was like, this is fucked right in a black suburban. And she's going down back alleys and stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to get killed. So great. And I know nobody out here. Then she goes to this place where it's like, driving down this dirt road to it looked like Waco Texas right and I'm like I'm definitely gonna die here like this is (laughs) and so I'm scanning the bushes going like can I survive in the bush like if I get the hell out of here like what what can happen right um she takes me in this building where they have this dorm and stuff and I'm like the only thing I heard when she took me in there was there's two bedrooms with windows well I went straight to a bedroom with a window because I'm like I need an escape plan Mm -hmm. right so yes, I started there and I was, uh, I was not okay. I was not in a good place. And I was, I was angry and hurt. And I, I, I look back at it now and I tell people I was, I was dead inside. I had like no soul left. I was just done. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't explain what happened there, but by the third day, it was like somebody walked into my in my life and turn the light back on and was like you know what there is there is hope there is an end to this right so it completely changed my life in the five and a half days I was there uh gave me hope gave me uh positivity um showed me people actually care and uh I finished that program came back the day after I came back I went to a support group in uh, Leduc which was called ASK at the time, All Services Kinship. And it was, my psychologist was recommending it. So I went to check it out. Went to the can I Can I back you up for one sec before, because I know where you're going. But so uh, Project Trauma Support, is that funded or did you pay for that yourself? 
I just for our listeners. No, no, it's funded for veterans and like RCMP. That's who it's funded for because okay. the Legion funds it for them. Okay. But um, first responders were not funded. So there, there's no money for them. Okay. So I was fortunate enough to have True Patriot Love paid my spot. There. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So I just want people to have yeah. these resources, right? Like True Patriot Love is, is a nonprofit that helps support first responders going to treatment centers. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So and then it was, it, was, it was donations that paid for my spot there. Cause okay. it's like awesome. $7,000, $7,000. I know because people, week. people yeah. see that number and they automatically think there's yeah. no way. Right. So I want people to know there is a way you mm -hmm. just have to find the people and the resources that, and it, even if you really don't want to go reach out and ask for help because lots of people will come together to make it work. Yeah. That's what I have to say. Cause yeah. I, I knew that you had it paid for, but I couldn't remember who yeah. got it for you. There, like there's been lots of stuff that's happened since yeah. like trauma support has been in the news lately, which is not a good thing, but anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, so I did that, came back, went to a support group in Leduc called ask um, mm -hmm. all services kinship. After I started going there, they they joined with uh, OSI Can Saskatchewan, and they became OSI Can Alberta. And so now the two have amalgamated, and uh, it's OSI Can Ask Alberta. And uh, after months of going to that support group, they asked me to be their support group lead, the Edmonton group. So now I I run a group in Edmonton for first responders, military, and veterans all hospital personnel, everything. I've been doing that now for 15 months online. Um, and we have like 62 people that are registered with us and they don't all come at the same time, but it's been awesome. I love it. And that's, that's what I do now. And I'm still Amazing. on WD. Yeah, I'm still Amazing. on WD, but I, uh, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. I don't know what their plan is for me, but I'm waiting to find out. That's, that's it. so good. You're so, um, so many things to say, but you're so brave for even agreeing to share your story, like with us and our listeners. So I want to say that first. Yeah. So thank mm -hmm. you so mm -hmm. much. Um, and I'm also, I'm sorry that you have fallen through the cracks because they, uh, CSC tends to do that. Somebody gets uh, a physical injury and they just don't know what to do. And that physical injury uh, becomes a mental health journey for you. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm just happy that you are able to, um, what I think, keep surrendering, right? You're mm -hmm. surrendering into your journey. And that creates, like you said, this thing randomly appeared to you on Facebook. Is it random? Probably mm -hmm. not. You surrendered. Mm -hmm. You said, mm -hmm. I need help. Mm -hmm. And so that that came. And then the, the, the other part, the correctional officer knew was like, whoa man I don't trust anyone I'm gonna die here's my backup plan mm -hmm. I know how to fight my way yeah. through this but again it's it's putting your complete trust into other human beings that it's very hard to do but once you do it you're uh, you, you, you see the good it, right? yeah you and grow. you see there's good people it's like totally. unfortunately we were in a place where we're surrounded by bad people right so we believe that everybody's mm -hmm. bad right or the world is for the most part bad right so as you're saying that I remember like same sort of situations going like oh my gosh and now I think it's incredible that you are that person for people right like yeah. I've been to Trudy's OS I can um meetings 
and like they're amazing I always like end up crying I always, and I mean it's a good cry it's like and sometimes it's not always for me sometimes it's for the other people that you know you listen to their stories mm-hmm. and uh I never compare trauma but I'm always like oh fuck like I feel those people I hear those mm-hmm. people I I can put myself in their shoes because you can't have empathy unless you've been through something like that. Right. And that's what OSI can does. Their facilitators are all peers that have been through something. They've all experienced Mm -hmm. it. So they're not coming from a place of you should exercise, you should eat healthy, you should, right. We're just like, yeah, fuck, just show up. That's all we care about. We just want you to show up. It doesn't matter. And like, you don't even have to turn on your camera. You can just sit there, you can delete your name, no one even knows you're there, and you can just listen for like the first 45 years if you want, because when you hear other people going through something similar that you're going through, you realize, I'm not alone. Okay, maybe I do belong here. Maybe I do belong somewhere. And that's the biggest thing, like the isolation. You And you talked about it so beautifully, like so, like I was dead inside. I didn't feel like, anybody wanted wanted to hear my story nobody cared nobody I didn't and I didn't want to burden people my kids were in school my kids I had a a psychologist one time that told me because I told her I said I lost faith in humanity right and she told me she goes like it's like some like we always talk about sanctuary trauma and Mm -hmm. neural injury right and it Mm -hmm. part of it was for me was like it was a hemorrhaging of the soul it Mm -hmm. was like over time my soul just died. It was just oh, gone, right? Absolutely. Like, and that, like Lauren and I talk about that. That it's like you, you had a major traumatic incident, but prior to that, you've had the slow leak in yeah. your tire, like yeah. until something's something's got to give at some point. Something's gonna blow, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, like for me, it's stuff, stuff, cram, cram it all down, 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 down until explosion, right? But it's, mm-hmm. you can't say this one thing happened to me or whatever. It's that slow leak that leads, it, it's like your life is being sucked out of you, right? I, I, I'm going to share something. I did a psychic, so I do uh, stuff with business owners and we, I have a group that I run and I had met with this intuitive psych, uh, psychic medium. So I had her come to um, one of my groups last night and she did a, like a 10 minute reading for everybody. And the message to every single person was pay attention to the signs, pay attention to the things that you're saying to yourself in your head, because they might not be you. They're your spirit guide. They're the person saying, get out of corrections, get out of corrections, get out of corrections, but you didn't listen. So the sucker punch came in to say, okay, fuck Trudy. If you're not going to listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> here you go. We're going to make you leave. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's two things about Project Trauma Support which really helped me. One was uh, we had a guy there that said that. He's like, the universe will give you signs throughout your life of of things that they want you to change or do or whatever. And if you don't listen to them, the signs get bigger and better and badder the whole time until finally they knock you on your ass, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was about it was everybody kept think, trying to get my brain working better or trying to physically get me in shape or whatever to do the job again. Nobody gave a shit about what was broke inside of me. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody dealt with that. Nobody wanted to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So Project Trauma Support did that. Mm-hmm. It gave me the, the confidence and the courage and the, the, the hope and the encouragement and, and all this stuff back again that I was missing. Like I felt like I was dismissed from corrections I felt like I was 
like not part of the family anymore. I felt like I was like mm -hmm. just tossed aside, right? And they gave me that that ability back to feel that again, right? And 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 you're saying like they're like, oh, exercise. Oh, and we talk about this lots. Like it's not like a thing. But when you don't do it, that erodes the confidence too. It's like, oh, my psychologist said I need to go for four walks today. And then you go to the psychologist the next week and you're like, I couldn't do it. And they're like, what do you mean you couldn't do it? You couldn't get up and go for a walk. And you, first of all, you've severed your integrity with yourself because you said you were going to do four things and you didn't do any of them. But when you have a brain injury or you're going through something like that, it's like, those are the hardest things to do, right? And if you keep letting yourself down, you stay in that cycle and, but it's comfortable to stay there, right? What you're doing now is way harder than you've ever, anything you've ever done before. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but it's, it's hard not, work. It's, it's worth so, it. It's so rewarding. No, this is mm -hmm. so rewarding. Yes. Like, like yes. I actually, uh, probably about six months to a year ago, I actually said to my group, I'm like, like the, the peer support has been, has done 10 times more to, for me than any other treatment has ever done. But also too, like I've gotten to the point now where I'm grateful for the incident, not because of what happened to me and the injuries I had and stuff, but it gave me my life back. Mm -hmm. It gave me, it gave me the people I have in my life now. And it gave me something to look forward to and a, and a passion in my life to, to help other people, which was gone. It was taken away from me. That's my so, favorite thing. Yeah. It's so good. But that's, I know. And that's why I, I lead with that question. Like what led you to corrections? Because a lot of times you want to help other people. And that's what, what, what you're drawn to, whether it's corrections or first, whatever it is. But like, it's, it, I'm the mission didn't say change. This cause it's like, yeah. yes. No. no. And the, the people, people you're helping, people the people, yeah. and it's more rewarding yeah. to help and fulfilling. Yeah. to help people where you say, I went through this, I need, like, in, instead of leaving corrections because there was this incident, there's got to be a safe way to depart, mm -hmm. right? Where you're like, my work here is done. I'm choosing to close this chapter. Yeah. But you know, if I, like, if I would have had the things in place now, like I just did two weeks ago, I did the EPS reintegration training program. Mm -hmm. And if I would have had those things, before I'd still be at work I'd still be doing yeah. my job yeah but those things are not available to us and and nobody is there to help us and so my plan now is how do we get that how do we do that because mm -hmm. we could save so many careers if we could just put something in place in the beginning instead of waiting until a major incident happens. okay and I'm going to tell you because I do this work CSC I've I've approached them numerous times with different things about how we how we create this foundation for people to be better, they already they already have something like that. Uh, do you? I'd like to see oh, it. I'm I like, can you share it with me? I've asked them to email. Can you can you send it to me? I would love to look at it and incorporate it into what I'm doing. No, they're not. Interested. No, they don't because they don't have it. I'm not an idiot. Like you don't have anything. Why would they don't, why they don't would, want it? They don't want it. That's exactly it. Cause yeah. it would cost too much money mm -hmm. and they can't pay all that overtime yeah. and take care of your mental health, everybody, but they wouldn't have the overtime if they took care of people's mental health, which is shitty. Um, but they're, yeah, they're not interested in, in helping us. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we're not what they want to spend the money on. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. I'm hoping it'll change. So um, as we, as we draw 
Sorry, Lauren. No, that's okay. We can probably just, talk forever. So we probably. I know that's. It's all good. It's it's okay. <laughs> it's all okay. But as we draw to a close, I was gonna say I've got one more question for you, Trudy, and it's mm. it's what are you living for? I mean, you've touched on it before, but mm. now I want to hear it. Yeah. Um. What am I living for? You know, it it took me a fight for for a year and a half. I was like, just send me back to work. Send me back to work. That's what I know what to do. It's better the beast you know than the beast you don't, right? So I was scared of the future and scared what I was going to do. Um, what I live for now is I'm trying to figure out who am I now? Because mm. uh, I, I, I lost me. I lost me. I became my identity was corrections and work and, and all that stuff. And I lost me and I didn't know what I wanted or what I, what I liked or who I wanted to be around or anything and living for that now, trying to figure out who am I, what do I want and what am I going to do? And, and my passion is, is the peer support with first responders and military. I, I love it. I, I get so much out of it. Um, the people are amazing. I have really good friends now because of it. Um, the major point in my life right now is I have a new baby granddaughter who is just turned a year and, mm. uh, I babysit her and I absolutely love it. Like that's, I, I love every day because I feel like, cause that's one of the things that happened with PTSD and a brain injury is I lost a lot of memory and a lot of, a lot of my life from before. Um, and so I feel like I got a do over. I got to do over to, to relive my life the way I want to live it, to be happy, to enjoy it, to, to be on the floor playing with her and, Aww. and just be in the moment. Right. And so that, and, and my kid and my girls spending time with them, because there was one point where we did family therapy because I was at the lowest point of, of low. And my oldest daughter said to me, she's like, mom, we don't have a mother, a mother daughter relationship because I was never present. I was never I was never happy. I was never in the moment. I was never, um, I never showed emotion or anything. And she, I lost a lot because of that. I, I always say that corrections took a lot from me and, uh, and now I need to try and get that back. So I've been rebuilding all those relationships and, and enjoying what I have and, and who's around me. And that's what I look for. And if I, I can turn that into a job or, or, I don't know, like corrections has to retrain me. Hopefully it can be in something like this because this is what I love. This is what I want to do. But uh, I don't know if corrections is going to let me do that. So we'll see. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Awesome. So, so I wanted to say something because as you were speaking, I was thinking about Jill Joseph yeah. and uh, and Mike says this all the time. Like I, 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 I learned it more on my cancer journey than I did on my trauma journey, but cancer is also trauma. Um, but like always trying to get back to who you used to be. And this is an opportunity to rediscover who you want to be. That's, that's Mike told me that. Cause I said something about like getting back to normal. He's like, no, 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 you're going to rediscover. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. One thing I found out is that, um, the old me is gone. I, mm -hmm. there, you can't go back to the old me. It, yeah. It's not there because when you have a brain injury, your personality and everything changes. Right. And uh, there, the old me is gone and I had to grieve that and I had to move on from that. So now it's all about discovering who am I now? Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do now? Right. So, yeah. And you can be whatever the hell you want. Fabulous yeah. lady. Oh, yeah. 
going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Have a so good, brave. Have a so good day. Good. You too. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll catch up with you later. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. Also, feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also, feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day, love. Lauren and Sharon.